As I start this series, I, I want to say that if you happen to be here and this is your first time being here, uh, this will be a most unique message for you this morning. It's not something that we touch on every week. If you're a visitor, I want you to know that. But the Bible is a very honest book. It doesn't hide the flaws of its main characters or even of its heroes, which is what makes it so credible. But we're going to get into a portion of Scripture today that, that as Kim said, please, I'm going to give you one more shot at this. This is not for children today. Uh, children should always be back in their classrooms where they can enjoy receiving God's word in a way that makes sense to them. And you as an adult can experience God's word to you and everybody sitting around you can experience it without distraction. But of all mornings especially, uh, I would urge you to still, while you have time, consider taking any children out of here. Okay, we want to start with uh, a slide. And this is an actual uh, sign that is at a cave, a real cave. It says, stop, prevent your death. That's a good idea. Go no further. Then they have fact. Fact, more than 300 divers, including open water scuba instructors, have died in caves just like this one. Fact, you need training to dive. I believe God wants to give us some training in the next six weeks about diving into caves or surviving in caves that life puts us in you need training to dive you need cave training and cave equipment I think God wants to equip us in the next six weeks without cave training and cave equipment divers die here that's <laughs> pretty grim warning fact it can happen to you there's nothing in the cave worth dying for do not go beyond this point now, we are going to go beyond this point. We are going to dive into some caves. We're going to look at some experiences in Scripture where people find themselves in caves, and God wants to show us some things that will help us manage situations that we may encounter in life. Now, one of the things that we typically don't like as human beings, particularly when it comes from another human being face-to-face, -face, is we don't like warnings. How, how many of you will agree that I don't like it when somebody comes right up to me and says, I'm going to warn you about something. You, you need to hear what I'm saying because I am warning you. How many of you just, you'll admit, I don't like that at all. I don't. I don't like, I don't like warnings. Now, let's see if we're quick to admit this next one. How many of us are humble enough, honest enough, and can remember enough to think of a time in life when we received a warning in some way or another? Might have been through Scripture, might have been from a person, might have been from a parent, whatever it might have been. But we received a warning about something. But we're like, yeah, right. I'm not doing that. I'm going to do what I want to do. And we did. We did what we want to do. But now you're older and wiser and you look back and you think, man, I so wish. I so wish I would have listened to that warning. How many can identify with that? Okay. So warnings are good. Here's what warnings are supposed to be about. The purpose of warnings, they are meant to, they are, it should be, they, they, they are not meant to frustrate us. They are not meant to deprive us. They are meant to, we'll correct that for the next group. We'll act like it, this never happened. <laughs> so they're not meant to frustrate us, but that's how they feel sometimes. You get, you get a warning and you really want to do something really bad and it just feels frustrating. Sometimes we feel like we're going to be deprived. If I don't do this, if I don't experience this, I'm going to feel like I'm missing out on something. 
but they're really meant to protect us that's the important thing to tuck away a loving God who created the heavens and the earth and created the very soul that's inside of each one of us a loving God that has known you known you personally every second of your life has watched every fear you've experienced every heartbreak every tear every dream every smile every outburst of laughter that God who never leaves you always is with you when you know it when you don't know it when you feel it when you can't feel it when you deserve it and when you least deserve it that loving God like a loving parent wants to give a warning to each of us today to each of us because there's a dangerous cave it's called the the cave of compromise and confusion that any of us can find ourselves in any of us can find ourselves in in this cave of compromise and confusion and we say things to ourselves like I, I I don't know how this happened I don't I don't know how I got here this was not the plan I had for my life I I don't know who I am anymore I'm not sure what to do and and I can't even think about the consequences of what has occurred I don't understand how this could happen to me what starts with compromise but it always ends with confusion I don't know who I am I don't know what to do I don't know where to go I don't know how to untangle this ball of wire string that I've put together I'm just trying trying to survive for another 24 hours and maybe maybe this will be more clear then maybe I'll catch my breath and figure out what to do next that's what's the feeling that's what it's like when we find ourselves in this cave of compromise and confusion now we're going to enter into a text and you're going to hear some things in the text that are going to be very disturbing okay very disturbing but again I said the Bible is an honest book doesn't gloss over the difficulties one of the reasons that the scripture shows some of the harsher realities that the human race experiences is because we have to be aware that we have, we have sunk so far from the ideal that God intended for us. When we see the beauty of God, the beauty of his kingdom, when we see the way that life was designed to be, when we see the way that our future is promised to be, and the hideous messes that we created along the way, there's one thing we should realize, that we cannot live without God. Occasionally, I come across people, in fact, more often than not these days, I come across people that think that, human beings can honestly do quite well without God I, I, I hear human beings say things like you know you don't need God to be good <laughs> it all depends on what your version of good is I mean I can always compare myself to someone else and, and I look pretty good compared to them but that doesn't mean I'm good the, the standard of good is the way that the creator intended us to be it's the truth says we're made in his image the standard of good is Christ himself and the answer that can human beings live without God no we can't because we deteriorate we do terrible things we do unthinkable things we that were meant to be beautiful and wear the beauty of God we, we become pretty hideous left to ourselves all right I'm going to read the first verse, then I'm going to have to do a little bit of narrative explanation, then we're going to continue on with this passage, okay? Here we go. Genesis 19. But God had listened to Abram's request and kept, what's this guy's name? 
Lot safe, removing him from the disaster that engulfed the cities on the plain. Now I have to stop there and explain. So this whole story starts in Genesis 12. A man named Abram is living in a, in a very sophisticated Sumerian city called Ur of the Chaldees. God comes to him and says, Abram, I want you to leave everything behind. Now, Abram was 75 years old at this time. He had probably built himself quite a good life. We find out scripturally he's wealthy. He has lots of cattle, lots of holdings. God comes and says, listen, if you'll trust me and you'll follow me, I'm going to take you to a place you've never been before. I'm going to give you a land and I'm going to make you a great nation and you are going to be a blessing to the entire world. And I'm going to watch over you. I'm going to bless those that bless you, curse those that curse you. I'm going to make your name great. But Abraham, you've got to be willing to trust me. I'm not even going to tell you where I'm taking you. Will you follow me? And Abraham, in Genesis chapter 12, he does. Now it's around 1900 B.C. when this occurs. Almost 4,000 years ago from where we're at now. So Abraham starts out on this journey and he takes his nephew, a man named Lot, with him. So Lot evidently left Sumer, uh, the Sumerian culture, a very sophisticated life, and also ventured out in trust in God with Abram. They, they journeyed together for about two years, but they had so much cattle that their men began to fight, and uh, there was just not enough room, and so they had to separate. Now, time goes on and all of a sudden one day Abram it's about 25 years from the time Abraham started out on his journey actually 24 years Abraham is sitting at his tents one day and he sees what he thinks are three men walking by I, I'm going to make a plea with you on your own you please on sometime on your own read Genesis 18 the whole 18th chapter and the whole 19th chapter because I'm just giving you a quick overview of those so he's sitting in his tent and he sees these three men coming but as they get closer, he realizes, oh, wait a minute. Those aren't ordinary men. He realizes two of them are angels, the scripture identifies, and one of them is the Lord himself. It is Christ nearly 2,000 years before he finally came to earth in human form. But he was in a human form then, the pre-incarnate Christ. They eat a meal with Abraham. And they have a conversation with Abraham about his wife, Sarah, who for 24 years had been wanting to have a baby but couldn't have a baby. But how are you going to have a nation if you don't have a baby? God says, you will have a baby, Sarah. But then God gives Abraham some bad news. He says, should I, should I share with you what I'm about to do? And Abraham's like, sure. He says, well, you know about those wicked cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. And their wickedness has hit such an extreme that it's, that it's an emergency. It's, it's like a fierce cancer. It has to be dealt with. And, and so God says to Abraham, he says, it's going to be destroyed. And Abraham knows something about Sodom and about his nephew. And he starts pleading with him about the destruction of the city. Anyway, the angels leave. They leave, the, they leave Abraham. They go towards Sodom. The Lord does not go with them. The two angels arrive in Sodom. And when they arrive, they make quite a stir. I don't know what they look like, but they must have looked different than the men of the city of Sodom. Mind you, they're angels. They could have been quite large. They could have been quite handsome. We don't know. But they look like men to Abram. At any rate, the men of the city of Sodom, they surround the house of Lot who was living in Sodom and they want the angels to be brought out to them so that they can have sexual relationships with them that's the the very thing scripture says quite clearly quite graphically they try to tear the door down so that they can rape 
these what they think are men but are angels the angels put a stop to that and they tell lot who is living in sodom this place is going to be destroyed and you got to get out of here and he says when you get out of here don't even look back because the destruction is going to be bad lot his two daughters and his wife are literally dragged the next day by the angels to the edge of the city and the angels tell them once again don't look back whatever you do don't look back as they are leaving as they are fleeing before the destruction falls Lot's wife who evidently just couldn't let go of her 23 year involvement in Sodom think about it 23 years man you built a life there it's where you raise your kids it's where your house is it's where all your holdings are it's home she looks back and she dies quite suddenly but it becomes literally uh, engulfed by the sulfur and whatever was raining down from heaven she's encased in a, in a pillar of salt she dies Lot and the two girls escape and they go to live in a city called Zoar but, but they were scared for some reason to stay in Zoar and so they end up in a cave all right now I had to give you that background let me, let me pick back up here. but God had listened to Abraham's request Abraham had pleaded that the, the Lord would not destroy the city if there were even 10 righteous people there but there was not even 10 righteous people in Sodom the angels dragged uh, Lot out with his, with his family they kept Lot safe removing him from the disaster that engulfed the cities on the plain verse 30 afterward Lot left Zoar because he was afraid of the people there we don't know why he was afraid maybe because they looked at him as one that was particularly accursed or something because he had left the, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah when they were destroyed anyway he went to live in a cave in the mountains with his what what does it say his two daughters so he goes to live in a cave he leaves over 23 years of Lot's life now almost 24 are gone they're literally up in smoke let's go on one day the older daughter said to her sister there are no men left anywhere in this entire area so we can't get married like everyone else and our father will soon be too old to have children come let's get him what is the word drunk let's get him drunk let that sink in let's get him drunk first with wine and then we will have sex with him that way we will preserve our family our family line through our father let's go on so that night they got him drunk with wine and the older daughter went in and had intercourse with her father it goes on to say the younger one a night later does the same thing he was unaware now let this sink in he's drunk he was unaware of her lying down or her getting up again pause it's saying that lot their father got so drunk that he literally had a blackout now I know some of you are thinking well the physicality of this whole thing gets complex but I'm not going to ask you but I know the truth I'm going to tell you the truth about me uh, up until age 23 I had quite a few times where I got so trashed I woke up the next day and I did not know what I had done now maybe none of you can identify with that maybe a few of you can <laughs> won't ask you to raise your hands but that's what we're reading here is that Lot got so trashed 
that he literally didn't know what had gone on the scripture goes out of its way to make that clear he was unaware of her lying down or her getting up again as a result both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their own father and we just gasp we're like you got to be kidding me Randy what are you going to do with this why would you bring this up why is this in scripture why why is this horrible hideous occurrence in scripture what what does God want us to do with this what what does he want what does he want us to think about this well I started off by saying it's about a warning how did this happen it didn't just happen overnight was there something that led to this that could be very relevant very relevant to your life and my life in other words is it it feasible that we could wake up one day in a cave having done some things so out of character that we just can't believe it we just can't we wonder how did I get here how did this happen what do I do what do I do now who am I from here forward so we want to look carefully at this portion of scripture because again a loving God is here to warn us to equip us to handle these caves and hopefully to avoid them altogether the first step in ending up in this particular cave for a lot was this we're going to look at three danger signs danger number one deadly compromise ahead lot ended up this way because he decided to make a compromise toward the good life or the good life as he saw it let me read a verse genesis 13 remember he left in genesis 12 with his his uncle abraham he was walking with the man of god he was walking in the path of god he was walking in the will of god but they they had too much cattle and so abraham says listen you pick whatever land you want you go one way i'll go another way we don't want our men to fight then lot looked in the direction of zoar as far as he could see he saw that the whole jordan plain was well watered like the lord's garden so he looks out he's spying at the land and he's going to pick the very best land that he can find lot chose the whole jordan plain for himself Abraham lived in Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain moving his tents as far as where Sodom the people who lived in Sodom were very wicked they weren't just wicked they were very wicked they committed terrible sins not just sins terrible sins against the Lord so how does Lot end up in this this unthinkable condition he, he's burned 23, 24 years of his life. He ends up in a cave just surviving, and he has now impregnated his daughters, and he doesn't even know it. But he will. He will as time goes on. But, but how did this happen? How did, well, it started, it started with a glance. It, it, it started with a look. It started with a gamble. It started with an experiment. The evidence is that Lot already knew that Sodom and Gomorrah, they were notoriously evil, notoriously wicked. Even in those days, it was known, but they were also very fine cities. Now, he was used to city life. He was used to living in, in Sumer, where in Ur of the Chaldees, easy life, 
development, a developed society, and now he had been wandering around for a couple years with Abram just in the wilderness and tents, he probably didn't like it. And so he looks out and he sees, man, I, I got a shot. I got a shot at the good life. We can identify with that. You know, I, I got a shot. I got a, I've heard this multiple times. Years. I got a shot at this job, but I don't know, man. If I take it, I... I mean, my family's doing so well. They're, they're rooted in, in the church. They're rooted in God's will. And, and this is going to take me somewhere. I'm not sure about the people I'm going to be working with. That one boss, he's a little shady. But I, but I know myself. I, I can do this. I can stay straight. I can, stay, I can get my family rooted in another church. I, I can make this thing work. It all started with one little compromise. He, he was looking to bring, he probably rationalized it. He said, I, I'm gonna give you guys a good life. This is no life for, for two daughters and a wife to be wandering around in the wilderness, dragging up tents day after day. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get us settled somewhere where life is gonna be easier. Life's gonna be more comfortable. We're gonna have more wealth. We're, we're gonna have the good life. We're gonna move on up, <laughs> you know? But it didn't work out that way. You and I, we never know. Listen this carefully. Because some of you already can identify with what I'm about to say. We never know when that lingering look, that lingering look is going to send us on a trajectory that's going to take us somewhere we never wanted to go and never wanted to end. We, we, we had a, just, a, just one experiment. We, we just... We just wanted to try something one time, but we had no idea it was going to change the whole trajectory of our life. We had no idea it was not going to just take us a little bit off course. It, it, was, going to, it was going to end us so far off course that we end up in a cave and we don't know who we are while we're here. We don't know what to do with the mess We've made multiple bad decisions on top of multiple bad decisions, but it all just started with a, with a little compromise, a little rationalization, a little experimentation, a little lingering look. And some of us have had our whole lives jolted, ravaged, shaken, and darn near destroyed. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. Just think of addiction. How, how does addiction, does someone when they're a little child look at a drug addict laying out on a street somewhere and say, when I grow up, that's what I want to be. It's not the way it happens. We all know that. Now, just a little experiment. Men who today tragically, tragically in numbers that are sickening are utterly addicted to pornography. How's that happen? Just a little lingering look. But it ravages the rest of your life. It destroys your marriage. It, it, it makes you feel dirty and soiled and guilty every day of your life. And it should. It was just a lingering look. It was just a little, it was just a little, little you know, little experiment. That's all. So this is not really foreign. He looks off and he thinks, man, I know that place is evil. I, I, I know this is not the right decision to make. I, I know I shouldn't probably do this. I know I should stay with the man of God, the movement of God, the will of God. But, yeah, man, this looks like it could be fun. And, you know, I'm a city guy at heart, so he goes to Sodom and he settles down in Sodom. 
Let's look on. Luke gives us kind of a relevant application of how getting ourselves into those compromising situations can end up for a Christ follower. Jesus was giving a, a parable, the parable of the sower, how the seed, the word of God goes out and how it affects human hearts and lives. He says, the seeds that were planted among the thorn bushes are people who hear the word, but as life goes on, worries, riches, and what's that word? Pleasures of, of, the, of life choke them so they don't produce, what does it say? Anything good. What is Jesus talking about? he's saying people that actually hear his word actually initially it resonates with them but then they they just get busy they just get distracted there's just a lot of things in life to worry about and then they start finding new pleasures and new ways to have fun and then they start thinking about money more money newer nicer bigger better newer nicer bigger better and, and they get distracted they get depleted their focus their energy their hearts are not focused on the word and the will of God and the summation of their life is they don't produce anything good. I'm going to tell you, I don't, you, you got to figure this one out on your own. I made up my mind many, many years ago, age 23, frankly. I don't want that to be said about my life. I don't want at the end of my life, when I stand before my creator who loves me, who wants what's best, knows what's best, when I stand before him, I don't want to hear him say, your whole life, Randy, was an absolute waste you did nothing you blew it you you were given much you did little that can happen folks but but it, but it happens often because we just start with a little compromise we start out following jesus but but then then we get kind of worried about oh man my my lawn and my house and my furniture and and my this and my that and my insurance plan we just get worried about stuff and then, then we start chasing the, the dollar sign ah oh, it's okay and then, then we, we try stuff we have fun I'm not saying that we shouldn't enjoy life but I'm just saying what scripture says these things can so deplete us so distract us that at the end of our life we produce nothing that God says that was good that was good I, you know you, you're all free we're all free to do what we want and we're going to do what we want ultimately I made up my mind years ago, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to follow Jesus fully and I'm following him freely because he's won my trust and I'm going to follow him forever. And if my life at the day of judgment turns out to be a bust, it won't be because I didn't put my whole heart into following Jesus. It will be that I just somehow, you know, made an error that I couldn't understand. But I, I made up my mind I was going to be all in. So here's a good question. Are you all in or are you pretty darn easy? to get to make a compromise that's a warning danger compromise are you pretty easy to get distracted or has the kingdom of God gotten such a grip on your heart that you create your value system your priorities with the Christ and his kingdom first and foremost and then you you know allow yourself to enjoy the rest of things with that kind of a divine prerogative ahead of it all right danger number two decadent culture awaiting so he makes this choice he's going to move his family into Sodom I believe he knew fully what was going on in Sodom that it was a place of of, of madness of perversion of pleasure craziness bad place everyone knew exceedingly wicked place but he 
pushes ahead, even though the danger sign was there, into a decadent culture that awaits. Now, once we, now listen, once we make the compromise, we, we've let down the barriers, we've let down the safety mechanisms in our life. We're, we're already wide open. We're going to compromise. We're going to experiment. We're going to try things that are not exactly God's will. Now, there's a culture that just waits, just waits to come flooding in to us and to completely saturate our minds, our lives, our schedules. And that's what happens. Let's look on. Genesis 13. The people, we've, lived, we've seen this before, the people who lived in Sodom were very wicked. They weren't just bad guys. They were very wicked. They committed terrible sins against the Lord. But he's going to move his family into Sodom. And so he does. So he does. Now, you don't have to move into Sodom anymore. Sodom is ready to move into you. It's ready to move into me. In fact, we can have Sodom right now. You, you can flip your phone. You can turn your phone on right now and welcome to Sodom. You, you can turn your phone on right now and you can have the filth, the perversion of the whole world right before your very eyes. It's really hard to get away from a culture that wants to destroy us and lead us not to be the people God created us to be, but to live contrary, completely contrary to that. We're the first generation in human history. I'm just going to be honest with you. You're more tempted than any generation that's ever lived on the planet. That thing that we call our phone, those iPads, those computers, those screens that we live with, and I'm not saying throw them all in the trash. We, we all know that's, that's, that's gone. That's, that day has passed. We've got to learn to manage. But these devices... They bring Sodom into our lives. And so we've got to find ways to be stronger. Listen to me carefully. To be stronger than any human beings that have ever lived on this planet. Through most of human history, 108 billion people lived and died on planet Earth. About 97% of them didn't even have electricity. We are living in a technological revolution. And we are tempted in ways that human beings have never been tempted before. We have to be stronger stronger than ever how many have ever heard of the Mariana Trench it's uh, supposed to be the the deepest portion of the ocean in the world it's like seven miles deep now you can go on the Mariana Trench with a little rowboat little cheap Sears rowboat I guess Sears no Sears doesn't even exist anymore do they I don't know I don't know where you buy maybe they do I don't know but you get a little rowboat seven miles of water underneath you it can't affect you at all. You can just glide back and forth. You're, you've transcended above it. But if you get a little leak in your boat and you're out there in the middle of the ocean, shame on you. Because slowly but surely, it's going to fill up your boat and then it's going to take you down and you're not going to have any control of what happens there. Now, ironically, in the Mariana Trench, they found fish very deep down, some of them five miles down deep, uh, deep enough that a typical nuclear submarine would just be squashed like aluminum foil. But they found fish down there surviving. How, how did they survive that pressure that a uh, you know, nuclear sub couldn't even take? Well, they found the secret to the, the fish's existence is this. The fish have an ability to generate 
the same pressure within themselves as is crushing down on them. They have five miles or more of water, the weight crushing down on them, but they have so much power, so much pressure inside them, it withstands it. It's a standoff. What am, you, what am I trying to say? I'm saying that we that live today, we better be strong Christians. We bet, if, if you think you can be a wishy-washy follower of Jesus today and not be completely taken down by our culture, <laughs> you're very naive. You and I, though, can be strengthened inwardly by the mighty power of the Holy Spirit. We can be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. We can have sufficient force to resist the culture, to be lights to the culture, to be salt to the culture. We can have the force and the power of God that we are those that influence individuals in the culture but are never influenced by the culture itself. That's what salt does. Salt changes things. You don't change salt. That's what light does. Light exposes things. You don't, you don't close off light. But make no mistake, we can't be. The day, listen, I did, a, I did a series of messages a while back called Tipping Point, and I tried to say very carefully in that series, the day is gone for easy breezy, wishy-washy following of Jesus. And if you don't believe me, you just wait to see what's coming down the pike. So we have to be careful of this culture because it's real here's a simple verse from 1 Corinthians 15 verse 33 do not be misled bad company does what corrupts good character we're social beings and culture will influence us unless there's sufficient power of God in us that we know who we are we know why we're here we know what the word of God says we know what the will of God is and we will not be conformed to this present world but we will be transformed by the renewing of our minds to become Christ-like in the midst of a very unchristlike world an increasingly unchristlike world Lot didn't have that let, let, let me share something with you before we get so down on, on our old buddy Lot how many of you knew Lot didn't have a Bible? How many of you knew that? He couldn't go to the store and get a Bible. How many knew that? Can you see your hands? How many knew that the Bible didn't exist in Lot's day? Didn't exist. There was no Bible. How many of you knew that, that Lot never knew Jesus? Never knew that, that, that God was this loving, sacrificial God who displayed it by sacrificing himself on a cross and rising from the grave and so forth. He was 2,000 years, 1,900 years before Jesus, almost 2,000 years. He had no Bible. He had no Jesus. He had very little truth about God and very little truth about life. But that's not you and I, man. We got it all. We know the whole thing. We've got the Bible. We can get Bibles anytime we want. We can study the Bible anytime we want. Do you know how many, do you know how many uh, minutes the average person spends on social media today in America? Somebody want to shout it out? Four, four hours? They say the average is about two and a half hours a day. I'm, I'm, you know, I don't care. I don't, that's, that's fine. But let me just throw something out. Perhaps, perhaps you've said this to yourself before. You said, you know, darn it, I wish I knew my Bible better. I wish I knew more about God's word and will. I, I, wish, I wish I could get myself to spend more time in God's word. Well, if you're average, you got about two and a half hours every day. That if you wanted to just trade it up a little, maybe just take a half hour of it. I don't know. Maybe it would help. 
you think it might benefit you more if you took a half hour or an hour um, for the word of God to get into you and to you to get into the word of God than, than what you're benefiting from your social media interaction you're, you're, you're tempted like no other generation no other generation has had the temptations you have you have got to be strong in the Lord you have got to be wise because we live in a culture that will fill our boats and suck us down under and we won't even know it's happening we won't even know why we think differently we, we live in a world where our, our littlest children in public schools are being assaulted in ways that has never been done before, never been thought of before. In the public schools, you, you guys know that I urge everybody in here to, to read a book called We Will Not Be Silenced. And if you haven't gotten that book and read it, it's by a man named Erwin Lutzer. Please get the book and read it. You need to know what's going on in the public schools today. I mean, little bitty kids, they're being taught gender fluidity. Uh, they're, they're being taught in many cases. It hasn't hit here in Frederick County yet, but believe me, it, it'll come they're being taught to be racist by something called critical race theory. Um, it's unfair. It's horrible. You've got to find creative ways to protect your children today. It's harder than it's ever been. I, I feel very sorry for parents of small children, but you got, you've got the same power of God. You'll just have to be creative, get close to the Lord, and find ways to battle it. Danger, decadent culture head. Listen to this verse from 1 Corinthians verse uh, 6 of chapter 9 the Corinthians had individuals in the congregation there evidently that they made professions of faith they said yeah yeah sure I believe Jesus died for me and I believe he rose again but it never changed them you ever meet people like that they'll say yeah I'm, I'm a Christian I'm, I've been born again uh, I'm, I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose again but when you look at their life there's just there's just no change how many have ever known people like that can I see your hands how many are people like that? <laughs> How many people that know you would say you're like that? <laughs> Something to think about. Don't you know, Scripture's just so honest and clear. It says, don't you know that the wicked people won't inherit God's kingdom? That's pretty darn clear. Stop deceiving yourselves. Some of the Corinthians were. People who, what is the word? continue to commit sexual sins you know what that greek word is there pornea we get a word pornography from it it just means sexual activity that is not within the context of marriage any kind of sexual activity people who continue to commit sexual sins who worship false gods those who commit adultery you know what adultery is and what is the word oh man that's inflammatory today that will that will get you into some real trouble today that'll get you canceled today it's God's will he made Adam and Eve a man and a woman that is God's design we can try to go against God's design but we will do so to our own dismantling individually and as a society he goes on this list doesn't stop or thieves notice thieves homosexuals they're all right thrown in together or greedy the greedy is right in there with the homosexual and the thief or what's the next one drunk what, what, what did what did Lot's daughters do what does it say remember, can you remember when I was reading that text they got 
him drunk, it said. They deliberately got him drunk. But you say, Randy, what did they do? Did they put a sieve in his mouth and just, just dumped the alcohol down? It sounds to me like he was cooperating. Doesn't it sound to you like he was cooperating? Now, he may not have wanted to go as far as he got, but he was not protesting, it doesn't seem. You know, you're not an eavesdropper, I know. But, but maybe, maybe you were in Applebee's sometime, and like, you know, there was the loud talker in the booth next to you. And so you just couldn't help but to hear the conversation. And here's the conversation that I guarantee you, you never heard in Applebee's from the loud talker. The loud talker is saying like, oh, man. I don't know what happened. I just don't know what happened. I woke up and I was blank. It's a complete blackout. I mean, I started out the evening. I just, I just had a, a iced tea. I just, I started drinking an iced tea, and man, you know how it goes. One iced tea led to another. And after the third iced tea, I, I just don't know. I, I just kept getting sober and more sober and more sober, and, and my mind got so clear. And the next thing I know, I blacked out, and I don't know what I've done. <laughs> you never hear that story at Applebee's, do you? <laughs> but I'll bet you some of us in this room have had to tell that story on ourselves. We sat here like, I have no idea. Tell me slowly what I did. Please make it easy on me if you can, because I started out just a couple drinks. I, I never intended I never intended much of just a drink or two, and next thing you know. That's on the list, folks. Why would drunkenness be on the list? Because when we are drunk, we no longer have control of ourselves, and that is unloving. And anything that is unloving can't exist in an eternal domain. It won't be in the kingdom of God. It can't be in the kingdom of God. No sin can be in the kingdom of God because it's destructive. It makes us a threat to everybody everything and ourselves it's all got to be eliminated no thieves or greedy greedy think about that or drunk or who use what does it say Randy it's just words man it's like you know everybody cusses the, the movies cuss today everybody cusses ever since Clark Gable said frankly my dear I don't you know how he said that in the movie uh, but God sees it different words have meaning every culture every language has profanity it's known to be profanity it's evil it's guttural and it is absolutely unnecessary for any christ follower to ever use at any time you with me how many say amen to that one okay right with abusive language or who rob people will not inherit God's kingdom so Paul is pointing out to the Corinthians he's saying listen this cultural thing that's so normative in Corinth Corinth was a bad place like Sodom he's saying you need to know this kind of conduct it's never going to be allowed in the kingdom you say you're a part of so he goes on and says this he says, in the past, past tense, some of you were like that. You used to be thieves, used to be homosexuals, used to be drunks, used to be uh, users of profanity and all, all those things. You used to be greedy. He's saying you used to. But you were washed clean. You were made holy. You were made right with God 
in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. What is he saying? He's saying, but some of you guys are the real deal. When you saw the beauty of God in Christ and you saw his sacrificial love for you demonstrated on the cross and the mighty power of his resurrection, you knew he was the way, the truth, and the life. And you said to yourself, let everybody else follow whoever they want. I'm following Jesus. And if he says sin is destructive to me and he wants to save me from my sin, then I am going to follow him away from sin and toward righteousness. He's saying that when these people actually put their trust in Christ and became his followers, all those things, their greed was in the past. Their drunkenness was in the past. Their fornication was in the past. Their adultery was in the past. And all the other things that were on that list. And he says, if those things were still going on, he's telling to the Corinthians, he's saying, you're deceiving yourselves. It's one thing to be in Sodom. It's another thing to have Sodom inside you. And Paul is saying that when a person puts their trust in Christ, the spirit, the culture of Sodom has no place left anymore. You say, Randy, do you become perfect overnight? Is that what you're saying? Of course not. But there ought to be measurable progress if we're honest and sincere. All right. Danger number three. Disproportionate catastrophe assured. When we compromise and when we get ourselves immersed in a culture that is counter to the word and the will of God, you can count on it. It's just a question of when. It's not if. It's, it's when is it going to happen? When's the bottom going to drop out? We might paddle pretty well for a while. Lot made it for about 23 to 24 years living in Sodom. He, he might have been looking every day at his holdings and saying, man, I'm glad I made this move. I could have been out there in the wilderness with Abraham living in a, in a goofy tent, but man, I got money piling up here in Sodom and I have all kinds of enjoyable things to do every day. It looked pretty good for a while. It looked like he was getting on with it, but then it changed danger disproportionate catastrophe assured let's go back to genesis afterward lot left zoar because he was afraid of the people there and he went to live in a cave in the mountains with his two daughters and we know what happens after that don't we we know what happens in the cave it says in verse 33 and first the older daughter said let's get our let's get our dad drunk and let's have sex with him so that our lineage won't be swept away. They were scared. They were insecure. Their minds were clouded with the thought of Sodom. They were ignorant and foolish. They were so far from the kind of beings, beautiful beings that God means for us to be. But they were just completely left to be educated by Sodom it appears it appears that Lot didn't have an awful lot of influence on him so they get him drunk and then he gets so drunk he doesn't know what's going on he doesn't know when the the daughters lay with him and when they get up he, he's oblivious to it but I guarantee you two three months down the road he had to face this didn't he now Jesus said this about constructing our lives improperly that that it can look okay it can look like we're succeeding listen to me careful because some of you you think you're succeeding but you've compromised you're fully immersed in culture an ungodly culture but you think you think you're succeeding i hope this isn't true but i, I know people well enough to know in a room this size it, it's true for somebody in here so here's what jesus said he said everyone who hears these words of mine and does not what act on them you, you, you can hear the word of God you can even say I, I like the way that sounds I like that idea 
but if you and I don't act on it, don't internalize it, don't obey it, it doesn't matter. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a stupid man who built his house on sand. The rain fell, the rivers flooded, the wind blew and beat against the house and it collapsed and its collapse was, what is the word? Horrendous. Have you ever heard of a portion of scripture more horrendous, more ugly, more shocking, more jolting, more uncomfortable than the one I dealt with today? This man has to go on in life being a father or a grandfather or both. I don't know what you call it to these children. The children grow up to be two tribes that become the enemies of Israel, the Moabites and the Ammonites. They are constantly attacking Israel. Howbeit, way down the line, there's one great Moabite that rises up. Her name is Ruth. The whole book is in Scripture about her. She becomes the grandmother of King David. She's in the lineage of Jesus. So we see God's grace even in a, in a cave situation. But, but what, what about Lot? Okay, so we see this man's life is a blowout. It just comes crashing down in the most hideous scripture that may be in the entire Bible. What, what, what happens to Lot next? Well, we don't know. The Bible goes silent. He's left there in that cave with his two impregnated daughters. But would you like to know the rest of the story about Lot? There is a rest of the story. Here, the rest of the story. Second Peter 2,000 or more years later, the silence about Lot is lifted, and God speaks. And here's what he says. And if he, meaning the Lord, condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and destroyed them by burning them to ashes, making them an example to ungodly people of what is going to happen to them. Okay, so what, what about that Lot? And if he rescued Lot, what kind of a man? righteous man a righteous man who was greatly distressed by the immoral conduct of lawless people for as long as that what kind of man righteous man lived among them day after day he was being tortured in his what kind of soul righteous soul by what he saw and heard in their lawless actions you're going to see lot if you're a follower of Christ, you're going to see Lot in heaven. Lot was declared a righteous man. Abraham was declared righteous when he put his trust in God. Genesis 15, 6, Abraham trusted God and the Lord credited it to him as righteous. All through the New Testament, all through the Bible, when a person puts their trust again in God in, as he's revealed in Christ, we are declared righteous. We're, we're rightly aligned once again with God. So the rest of the story is that even though Lot pretty much destroyed his wife and his daughters, he made it out okay. How does that make you feel? I mean, could, could it be possible that you and I, we, we, we make it out okay? We have that internal pressure that can withstand the external pressure, but we involve other people that can't take it that 
that succumb to the temptation? That, I mean, are we responsible for them? It, it doesn't look as though Lot's being held responsible. It says in judgment, we're only going to be judged for our, our sins. We're not going to be judged for, you know, what influences we had on other people to a degree at least. But, but how does this story end? I mean, is, is it something that should cause us to say, well, wait a minute. What could Lot have done differently? How could this 25 years of his life that is literally goes up in smoke, how could it have been dialed back and reversed? What if, what if Lot, instead of separating from Abraham, would have said, you know, Abraham, you can just have all my flocks, man. I, I'm I, I, out here following you anyway. You're the man of God. You're the one that God's revealing truth to. You've got the word of God. You've got the will of God. I want to follow you and be like you. Where you go, I will go. What you do, I will do. And I will stay in the wilderness if necessary forever to stay united with your will and God's will. Wonder what would have happened to his wife. I wonder if she would have turned out a different lady. She might not have. She might not have. We don't have any guarantees that our family members or our loved ones are going to turn to Christ, but it's something to think about. I, I, wonder, I wonder if at least his daughters would have ended up married and having children in a healthy way. Because if you read the, the Genesis 18 and 19, you find out that they actually had men in Sodom of all places that wanted to marry them. So, what is the big warning then for you and I? A loving God warning. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's if you or I am considering a compromise in some area of life. Let's get real personal now. Is there some area in our lives where we know where the lines are, we know where the boundaries are, but we're thinking, you know, I'm just going to step over a little bit. I... I know how to navigate this thing. The Lord is screaming at us today, please don't do it. There's danger. And some of us are thinking, well, I can, I can immerse myself in culture. It doesn't bother me, Randy. Okay, maybe you can. Lot survived. His wife didn't. His kids pretty much didn't. So might the Lord be trying to say to some of us today, man, you, you've got to extract yourself from that culture. It says, love not the world, neither the things that are of the world. It says, love the fathers, not in them. It says, don't be conformed to this present world. Be transformed by the renewing your mind. Maybe God is pleading with some of us today. He's saying, danger, danger. You are being molded and shaped by this present culture, and you don't even know it's happening. And then I've got to be honest. Some of us are in the cave today we're sitting here we got our game face on we're, we're not going to let anybody know but we're in the cave and we're standing there stunned and we don't know what to do next we're we're lot in the cave when he finally realizes oh my goodness those kids they're mine what kind of a monster have i become and what losses have I incurred and is there any redemption for somebody like me the good news is 
Lot shows there is redemption, there is mercy. Even if we're in the cave, even if we have done great destruction to ourselves and those close to us, there is mercy, there is redemption. God was still with Lot in the cave. He was still with Lot all the years that he lived and those girls lived and those boys grew up. They became nations, not good nations, but nations. And he is with you or me or any of us that find ourselves in that cave, that cave of compromise and sickening confusion. You ever, you ever been there? You ever been in that place where you can't even look at yourself? You can't even think about yourself without just feeling sick. I know what that's like. And God is there, and he wants to rescue us even there. So, Will you let the Spirit of God speak frankly to you today as I'm going to let him speak frankly to me? Do we need to think about compromises? Do we need to think about culture? Do we need to just think about the catastrophe at hand? Whatever it is, he's there. He loves you. He's for you. He forgives us. He restores us. And he wants to guide us and guard us from wherever we're at today, even from the cave to the place of his will and his kingdom ultimately. Let's pray. Father, we pray that sombering passages like this, sombering events in our lives, sombering moments, um, that we would, we would remember that you are still there, you still love us, you're for us, you're not shocked your love is unstoppable and unshockable. Help us. Help us to be ruthlessly honest, though, at this moment with ourselves. If we are drifting in compromise, may we hear your danger signs and, and just stop. If we're too immersed in culture, may, may you awaken us to that. And if the catastrophe we find ourselves in is overwhelming, may you give us strength to cry out to you and to find you no matter what we need to plow our way through to get back to you. I ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.